hands on them. Let's hold those up. I'm a child of God. God. Have in my hand hand. the powerful Word of God. God. It can heal broken hearts, hearts. save man's soul, soul. and heal broken hearts. Didn't I say that already? I've lost my mind this morning. My mind's going to... Where is it? And I've lost my mind today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I look over at your neighbor and just uh, just look at him. Just look at him. And you can say whatever you want to say. <laughs> if you're sitting close to somebody that you can do this to, give them a kiss on the cheek. If, if you're not, don't do that. <laughs> And if you're by yourself, just kiss your hand. That'll be all right. Yeah, this front row is getting awfully friendly up here. Praise God. We continue in our series this morning on Courageous. I've really enjoyed this, haven't you? And those of you that have been coming to our small group study time at 9, I I tell you, it's just been awesome. Rodney and uh, Aaron have done a great job putting this together and sharing from their hearts to us, and uh, I've enjoyed these messages. Today we're going to talk about fighters versus flyers. Fighters versus flyers. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, so if you have those Bibles, go there, and we'll get into it here shortly. The animal kingdom teaches us a lot of great lessons, fight or flight sometimes involves stress on their side. Animals are inclined to fight or to flee depending on what predator is stressing them, whether it's men or other animals. Humans, we tend to fly for an infinite number of factors, from fears to friends, from habits to hang-ups. You could be driving the speed limit, have your cruise control on, and see a policeman and instantly hit your brakes. Any of you? Why is that? Because we tend to go faster than we should most of the time, but we see a policeman, we we, we slow down. My friend uh, Corbin Bowles is a highway patrolman in Texas, and he said most of the time he's on the interstate, he'll drive at 50 miles an hour just to see if anybody will pass him. And it's so fun because these cars are backed up behind him Going 49, they're not going to go 50. <laughs> and the speed limit is 65. I mean, you know, zip by him. But it's, it's funny how human nature is. Sometimes we choose whether to stand or fight a powerful enemy. Or sometimes we wisely flee temptation when it's placed before us. And in the case of being dads, fight or flight is what we're to teach our kids not what we're supposed to do to them. There is perhaps no better or worse picture of this than that very familiar story in the Old Testament of David versus Goliath. Now, I love that, I love that story. But before I get into the story, let me kind of summarize Israel's leadership to this point. Following Israel's occupancy of the promised land and Joshua's death, a new generation was born who did not know God or the mighty things that God had done. 
you look in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, that reveals that to you. There was this horrible cycle of disobedience. It began when Israel would rebel, be oppressed, cry out to God, then be rescued by God via the judges that He would send, men and women who were called to speak God's truth and bring restoration back into the lives of those of God's people. The book of Judges ends with the startling words in Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever he wanted. Sounds a lot like our culture today. You have Jesus in your life based on how you want him to be, not how he is. We make him convenient to us. When we're with our friends, it's a little tougher. Now, you can be really cool at church because you got friends here, right? And you can throw your hands up and praise the Lord. And probably can't sing worth a lick, but you throw your head back and let it go anyway, don't you? Because your church is a safe environment. Well, let me put you out in the workplace on Monday afternoon. Hello. <laughs> are you just as focused? Are you just as committed? Are you just as on fire? It was moral chaos that led to a, a time of struggle among the Israelis. The book of Ruth begins with famine, ends with the birth of several soon-to-be kings. First Samuel ushers in this new monarchy. Prophets and priests proje uh, protected uh, and, and prescribed worship of God in days when God's word and prophetic visions were scarce. And in the eighth chapter of First Samuel... Against the warnings of their faithful prophet Samuel, the people demanded a king. And then Samuel was utterly amazed in chapter 8, verses 1 through 22, when God told him to give them what they wanted. There was no more impressive or qualified in the land than Saul at this time. He became Israel's first anointed king and the first rejected king because of disobedience to the Lord. David was named Saul's successor. But before David could become king, Saul had to die. And that was kind of unlikely, him being the king. But not nearly as unlikely as the future king being placed in the king's court playing a harp. <laughs> he doesn't look like a king. Being challenged and engaged in all-out war, Israel's face-off with the Philistines brought a new kind of battle to their face. It would be survival of the fittest, fight to the death, winner takes all, the Philistine fighter Goliath versus any man of Israel who dared to step forth. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. If you don't if you have your Bibles, come on, open it up. you got your electronic device, get it on there. 1 Samuel 17, come on. If you, go to, if you go to class and you don't have your book with you, they'll make you go get your book. We've been through that with these kids on Wednesday. They don't ask me anymore. They just start looking for a Bible. Some of them even pick up the King James. Bless their heart. Verse 1, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camp. By the way, King James is fine. Don't, don't get me wrong. King James is fine. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camp between Sokoth and Judah and Ezekah at Ephrath Daman. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Got the picture? Then Goliath, Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. 
How, how big was he according to your Bible? He was over nine feet tall. Now, boy, the NBA is looking for that guy. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Wow. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. He was so bold, so big, so powerful looking, he didn't even need to carry his own shield. Somebody else did. Can you see this punk standing up out there? Big over nine foot looking dude. We're going to take him down, aren't we? Children of Israel are going to rise up and take the big old Philistine giant out, aren't we? Hmm, let's keep reading. Goliath, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted and taunted across the, to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He said, I am the Philistine champion. But you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you're our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, what does your Bible say they did? They were terrified and deeply shaken. You ever been that terrified that you're shaking, trembling? Ah, my wife gets that way when tornadoes are coming at our house. What I do is I go out and stand on the porch and look for them. That's what my grandmother taught me to do. She said, you, you can't run if you don't know where it's coming from. She's silly. She was silly. Because you can't tell where they're coming from or where they're going or anything. But here I go, right out in the middle. Of them. <laughs> and where are my children? Right behind me. And where's their mother? Screaming. What are you doing? <laughs> Saul was fearful. How do I know that? Let's compare a couple of verses. It, it, back in chapter 9, verse 2 of 1 Samuel, it describes Saul. It says, His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Saul was taller than any of the other Israelites in the land. Now fast forward back to chapter 17 and pick it up in verse 4 again. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out to the Philistines' ranks to face the Israelites over nine feet tall. Well, Saul had to be seven, eight foot tall. So that the two giants go after each other, amen? What's wrong, Saul? Get out there and get on with it. <laughs> Israel's best was afraid of the Philistines' worst. Physical appearance had already been proven important to the Israelites. So naturally the giant would have been an object of great fear to these Israelites. Let's pick up the story. Verse 20 in 1 Samuel 17. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. You see, Jesse was the dad and he had sent David to bring some provisions to the brothers who were fighting because the dad thought they were fighting. He arrives at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Here we go. Here we go. We're going to get him today. Here we go. Can you see them all going? You see them all chanting? And they're all looking around making sure everybody else is coming along with them because they're not going to go out there by themselves, right? 
Here we go, man. We're going to get him. I'm going to tear you up. Boy, I'm going to tear you. I love to watch two guys fight. They look like roosters, don't they? Oh, I'm going to tear you up, man. I'm gonna, they never get to it. They just, I'm going to tear you up. I'm gonna, oh, they talk it, talk I'm going to tear you up. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to tear you up. And they never do do anything. Wouldn't it be fun to just walk over and go, pow, shut up. <laughs> because if you do, while they're sitting there flailing around, just go up and hit them right in the nose, knock them flat dab out. Then turn around and walk away. No, don't do that. I'm not advocating that. Oh, mercy. Soon the Israelites' Philistines' forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was walking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. David's running up there and they're running the other way. Have you seen the giant? The man said he comes out every day to defy Israel. <laughs> the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him and he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Sign me up. Exempt from paying taxes. Sign me up. Do I need to slow down? Sign me up. Okay. 26, David asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men and he got angry. I love how big brothers think they're cool. He's running away from Goliath. David's running toward Goliath. And he grabs him. He says, what are you doing here, punk? I'm bringing it up to our day, right? What are you doing here, punk? He said, I brought some stuff from Dad to help you guys out. He said, man, I'm mad at you. Shut your mouth. What's wrong with you? I'm going to knock you out. Oh, he's a big talker now. I'm going to turn around and face the big boy from Goliath over here, from Gath. Mm-hmm. What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Well, what have I done, David says. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. And then David's question was reported to King Saul. And the king sent for him. King Saul sends for the little shepherd boy. Oh, big, mighty Saul. Big, head taller than everybody. Sends for the little shepherd boy. 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David tells Saul. And what does your Bible say, David said? I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. You ever seen the littlest guy in a fight whip the biggest guy in a fight? Because usually the little guys, man, they're, 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 they're almost scared spitless, but they ain't backing down for nothing, and here they come. Ooh. In football, I was blocking a little bitty guy. And I, when I broke the huddle and I saw that little bitty guy across from me, I thought, what? don't insult me. Don't insult me to make me block this little punk. What are you doing? Snap of the ball. That sucker was so quick. He was around me tackling the guy in the backfield. I'm going, hey, hey, hey. You're supposed to not do that, but look how big I am. And he kept doing it the whole game. And I'd go off the field and the coach would beat on me and then I'd go back out and I'd be mad and he'd get by me again. Whole game. So I took my helmet off. I threw it up in the stands. 
took my jerseys off, took my pads off, I threw them down, I stomped on them, said, I'll never play that stupid game again. No, I didn't do any of that. I took it as a challenge. And by the fourth quarter, old little brother wasn't taking me. But man, I never worked so hard to beat a guy in my life. David is ready to take him out. So I'll go fight him. So the future king enters the scene ready to tackle all the fight that the Philistine is, is bringing to him. Defending the honor of God and the people of promise. All of Israel's trained warriors stood on the sideline. God sent a small boy to do a man's job. Pick it up at verse 33, 17, 1 Samuel 17. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. See, you've got you to you get these stories. Don't just read it. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I like that little dude. Got some fire, don't he? Come on there, young dude. Let's do it now. All these young people, they go wild. They go crazy. They do nutty stuff, don't they? You wonder, what in the world were they thinking about? They're just works in progress. Then I step it up about three years or four years, five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. We're all still works in progress, I'm discovering. Yeah, we are. We're all still works in progress. God's still waiting for us to get a David-like faith. Saul finally consented. Well, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Oh, like Saul really believed that. 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, bronze helmet, a coat of mail, and David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like. And he'd never worn anything like that before. And he said, I can't use this. He says, I'm not used to them. So David took them off, picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put it into his shepherd's bag, Armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he starts across the valley to fight the Philistine. And when he hit Goliath in the head, Goliath said, something like that's never entered my mind before. This is taking y'all too long. Saul provided David with reasons why the bold plan would not work. David was just a boy with no formal training. Goliath is a professional fighter. Should have been enough to keep David back in the fields, but God had a different plan. It's unnecessary to complete the rest of the chapter because you know how it ends. You already know what happens. But I want us to focus on his response to the battle and the results that came. And dads, I want us, just, I want us to learn three or four lessons this morning from this story of David, David and Goliath. Number one, fatherhood is frightening, but fleeing Running away is not an option. For Saul becoming king had to be his greatest joy, but it quickly became his greatest challenge. The leader focused on conquest had met his match. You see, when you're a big old guy and another big old guy shows up, it evens the playing field, doesn't it? 
If little bitty guys always show up, well, he can take them and no problem. Unless God's on their side. And you see, when we compete out here in the world, dads, the world's fighting for the lives and hearts of your children. As moms and dads, we've got to hold our kids for the first, you know, when we hold them for the first time, it's life's greatest joy, isn't it? You get that little bundle of joy and you, you hold them right up here and you just look in their face and, oh my goodness. Well, I'm here to tell you that when you do it as a grandparent, there's something even more special about it. There's something even more special. But I love watching my son and daughter-in-law. And Jeff comes home and Kelsey says, that's dad. And she runs over there, jumps up in his arms, and just starts smooching all over him. And then he'll give her one of what she calls a juicy smooch. And she goes, oh, dad, oh, dad, oh, dad. I hope and pray that they always juicy smooch. And I said, Kelsey, what are you doing? She said, I'm loving my dad. I hope and pray that that never changes. But he has to fight for her. He has to stand in the gap for her. Remember, 24 million children in this country don't have biological dads at home. These dads have simply left, opted out for a life other than full-time care for the family that they started. Many of these kids have been fathered in the foundation of a family where the mother and father exchanged vows and made promises that are now broken, and so they have to see how that works. May the church be the right example. I lived in a, from a divorced home. I was raised in one. My mother didn't think she could do any better, so she went back to my dad three different times before he died. So I had to look for healthy relationships. I found them at church. I found people that were married 30, 40, 50 years, and I wanted to know how they did it. I remember asking uh, Dorothy Branstetter how she and Ralph had lasted so long, and she simply said, maybe you remember her saying it, she simply said, well, he did what I told him. I'm telling you guys, that works every time. He did what I told him. Well, she didn't even, she didn't even have to think about it. She just said. Fatherhood can be frightening no matter the situation, but it must never be run away from. The responsibility too great, stakes too high. Second lesson I want you to learn from the story is that fatherhood is frightening, but to do nothing is not an option. David had already seen God's hand in smaller successes. Now it was time to trust God for that ultimate success. It was time to fight the biggest of enemies. I've challenged our young people to continue to be strong in their faith, especially at school. I've encouraged them to put the Bible on their phones and then plug in the headphones and listen to the Bible read to them. The kid, and I said, just move your head like that. They'll think you listen to some music. And if they ask you what you're listening to, say, I'm listening to a new group called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those kids will go, oh, man, that's, I haven't heard of them, man. I haven't heard of them. I'll say, man, they're, they're, they're good, brother. They're good. They're good. And just move on. But if you carry a Bible, oh, man, that's a whole new, you've crossed the threshold, amen? If you carry a Bible to your workplace, you've crossed the threshold, haven't you? My brother used to carry his, he worked civil service, which is all false. He used to carry his Bible and he'd sit in his truck at, at, during the lunch hour 
and he'd put cassette tapes in and listen to the Bible read because he couldn't read very good. He'd listen to it read to him, and he'd write down questions, and he'd send them to us and ask us to answer it. And I'd send them on to my other brother because I figured he was smarter than I was. But we need to have time because we've got a big fight, dads. It's not enough to be in the home. You must lead your home. The soldier in Saul's army didn't flee the scene of the battle, but none of them stepped forward either. Chapter 17 and verse 16. For 40 days every morning and evening the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. For 40 days Goliath issued his challenge taking a stand against the army of God. For 40 days Saul and his army stood back and did nothing. As I mentioned earlier, Jesse assumed his, his sons were fighting under the command of Saul and little did he know that nothing was happening. Just as at church, we can't assume that just because a dad is in the home, that he's being a dad. We cannot assume that his hand is on the heartbeat of his family. The church's role is to support, encourage, and equip. We're going to launch a men's study about a month after we finish this courageous series. And encourage men and young men to be involved in that study. Because... We need to help our young men become men. We need to train them. It would be great if we could have their dads come right alongside them, wouldn't it? And we can train them. That's what we want to do. But there's a difference between watching the battle and fighting in war. There is a real giant out there demanding, demanding the hearts of your kids. Dads, fight for them. Third thing I want you to learn, lesson is fatherhood is frightening, but we must fight against the fear. First Samuel 17 does not give us a picture of a David who entertained fear of any kind because he had faith in the Lord. His confidence was in his God. God is bigger than our fear, stronger than our foes. And when David went to battle, God went with him. And like Caleb and Joshua before him, David's faith was met with opposition Saul gave great reasons why David could not stand against this Philistine. And when David went into battle, he wasn't wearing another man's armor, but the strength and favor of the Lord. I've got a feeling everything's going to be all right. I bet he was singing that when he ran out there. Well, probably not. But when David went to battle, he won. He was the least likely candidate to be named king but God instructed the prophet Samuel not to look at a man's outward appearance, but to look at his heart. We sometimes give up on each other, don't we? Because of what we see outwardly. Behaviors we see. Boy, I'm guilty. I know you, you probably are too. But the thing that amazes me is when one of those nuggets happens and you see that person stand in a way they've never stood before. Whew, man, that's awesome. It's awesome. Parenting presents its own set of challenges. Sometimes it seems that doing the right thing, standing up for conviction, disciplining your children, being consistent in boundaries and persistent in love, although sometimes tough, only serve to win a badge of unpopularity. <laughs> and because each of these endeavors takes hard work, Many husbands and wives choose the easier route. Spoil the kids, it's easier. Keeping up with the Joneses is more comfortable. Letting television and video games occupy their kids is easier. Focusing on grades and athletic achievements can become easier than developing 
godly character. Raising God-fearing, fruit-bearing Christ followers seems to be a giant to many families when compared to just letting kids be kids, grow up under the shades of gray present in the world that's around us. Doesn't have to be that way. Well, this story's familiar. You know the ending. David kills Goliath. There was another moment in the life of David that was all too familiar too, and that's the story of David and Bathsheba. It'd be nice to leave that one alone today, but the connections are too clear. Because when David, as a young man, faithfully stood up to fight, he honored God and killed the giant. And as an older man, when David abandoned the battlefield where he should have been fighting, he fell into sin. The moment in life when it would be, have been right to flee was a moment when David chose to stay engaged. And the consequences of that choice have lasted for generations. And had it not been for David's willingness to stand and fight against his pride and humbly repent of his sin, those consequences might still be in effect. You can break the effect of sin if you'll repent and turn back to God. Sometimes men in the context of the flight get distracted by their sin and they neglect to consider how their sin so deeply affects their family. Some men need to stand up and fight against sin in their lives and in the lives of their children. And that fight begins and ends in repentance. Oh, that we would repent today. Repentance takes courage. The courage of facing giants. We must fight against evil, against complacency and fear. We must flee from evil and protect our kids. We must do it to honor the Lord. We must do it to fulfill our call as men and women of God to fight for what is right rather than to turn and run for fear. Father, I ask you this morning to move in the lives of your people here. God, I'm praying that they will be deciding something. It's not enough to think about it. It's not enough to hope about it. But God, that they will do something about it. God, we love you. We need you. We need you more in this hour and this day than we've ever needed you in our time. We need dads who will stand up and be counted. We need dads who will be present in the home, not only to warm a chair, but to influence. May these dads be caught praying. May the children walk in on the dads as they're praying, going to spiritual battle on their behalf. May they find in their dads a word of encouragement. May they find in their dads a a word of blessing. May they find in their dads an example of what you look like. And Father, if there are dads here today that say, boy, Preacher, you've laid a heavy one on me today. I agree. But I laid it on myself first. And we need to make sure that we're taking the stands that we need to take. If we've got habits that need to be changed, change them. If we're looking at stuff we shouldn't see, don't look anymore. If we're not treating our wives the way and the mothers of these children the way we should, change it. Uh, you don't know how, you don't, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't understand your situation. I, I don't. But I do know that it's a 
strong lure. And I do know that temptations are great. And I do know that I serve a God that has been tempted in every way that I've been tempted and understands how I feel. So God, if there's somebody here today in this room, and I know there is, that needs to say yes to you, no to the world, give them courage to do it. Maybe there's a mom here that says, you know, I haven't been the wife to my husband I need, and I need to support him better. It's hard to be a single mom. It's hard to be a mom at home that's doing the spiritual lifting. God, would you bless these mothers? Give them that extra measure of strength and wisdom. God, we love you today. Do something in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.